the key thing with, I can't have basically what everything we've been talking about is the optimal dose, right? Yep. So sets for, again, back to sets, reps and rest intervals. What is the optimal dose? And with conditioning, finding that optimal dose. So, you know, people will think, well, if, if you have someone, you know, doing a half marathon once a week as their conditioning, then yeah, that's not going to work well if <laughs> their goal is to get stronger and to look better naked. So you need, you need to find the optimal dose and you need to also find what it is you can use to deliver that optimal dose. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joining the line later today by Jason Brown. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, want to give you uh, the quickest recap of the week that was. Not a ton going on last week. Uh, had some great work in with clients. You know, I still love getting in the gym. It's funny. You know, 21 years in, 22 years in, I still love it. Like, I still love going in the gym and coaching every day. And I know a lot of times people look at me crazy when I say that. But, man, it's just great getting in there, watching these young men and young women get better each and every day. So my guy, Ed, coming back strong off this Achilles thing. Love where he's at. Definitely, definitely doing well. Keelan, I can't talk too much about it right now, but looks like he may have something in the mix. So he is going to be, hopefully, on to his next destination within the week. Very excited for him. He's been very diligent uh, the last month, staying in the gym, staying sharp. He's been with me. He's been with Joey. So that guy's ready to go. So hopefully something hits for him sooner versus later. My guy, Jacob, uh, if you're unfamiliar with Jacob Abel, he's a race car driver. He's moving up. He's like essentially second division IndyCar this year. So big promotion for him. Got his first race coming up this weekend. So man, everybody's doing really well, excited about where they're at. And it's just been a lot of fun this this winter, man. A lot of times this is my downtime. But uh, definitely, definitely not complaining that I got people that want to come in the gym and get some work in. So they're doing great. Kiddos, family doing great. Both had games. Unfortunately, both took L's this weekend. You know, you just can't win them all. Can't win them all. So Cade's team ran into a pretty good little basketball team. And we just have not been able to hit shots the last two weeks. I don't know what's going on. Like we've been working on shooting. They're shooting really well. But, I mean, if you've ever played basketball, you know there are just little stretches sometimes you go through in a season where, like, nobody on your team can score. And it's funny. It actually reminds me. I'll tell you a very short story here. But my junior year, we got to play in the old Hoosier Dome. So now they have Banker's Life or whatever, you know, stadium the the Pacers play in. Well, my junior year, somehow my little itty-bitty school got to go and play a game in the was it the Hoosier Dome? I don't even remember. Anyway, where the Pacers play, we get to go play a game. And literally the weekend before, not one, not two, our three leading scorers all sprain their ankles. So they're all out. So we're all excited. We're playing in front of this in this huge arena in Grand. There's like 300 people in the stands in like a 18,000 foot stadium. But I mean, we're on an NBA court, right? We go out. We are literally down 29 to five (laughs) at the half. We scored five points in the first half of this game, but pretty cool little nugget. In case you never knew this, my first varsity points came in that stadium. So that was pretty cool. I got to get my first varsity points on an NBA court. So pretty excited about that. But anyway, 
Long story short, can't win them all. We didn't win them this weekend, and that's okay. Life goes on. Uh, Last but not least, this seminar. Super, super excited about this Complete Coach Seminar. If you are unfamiliar or you have not heard about this or this is the first time you've heard about it, I'll make sure I get a link in the show notes. But very excited to go down to Huntsville, Alabama, March 11th, 12th, and 13th. It's going to be an amazing weekend. Small attendance. I don't want a huge event. Not trying to pack 50 or 100 coaches in a room. I want 20. 20 very motivated, interested, curious individuals that are serious about putting all the pieces together. Like that's what I keep coming back to is how do you go from assessment to program to coaching as seamlessly as possible? How do you tie all those pieces together to get the best possible result? So really excited about that. Again, I'll put a link in the show notes if you don't find it or you can't you know, get information on it, definitely shoot me an email, mike at robertsontrainingsystems.com. I'll hook you up. I'm going to put it out there now. I'm going to kind of manifest this, but there is a very strong likelihood that I will be going to Europe early summer of this year. I know I talked about it last year. We were trying to make the Italy thing happen. Just couldn't make it work with COVID, travel restrictions, everything else. It just, the vibe wasn't there and I didn't think it was going to go well. So we kind of backed off, pumped the brakes a little bit, and we're reassessing that and potentially a second location in Europe early this summer. So if that's something you're interested in, definitely stay tuned. Trying to get all the collaboration done now so I don't have to travel over multiple times, but definitely excited about that potential because, I mean, look, this is just where I'm at right now. I've got a lot of energy, very motivated to help the clients and the athletes that I work with on a regular basis and definitely very excited to help trainers, coaches, rehab professionals that are serious about leveling up. I made a lot of mistakes over the 21 years that I've been in this game, but excited to share those mistakes and what I've learned from it and hopefully make the people that attend these courses that much better. I want to fast track people so that they start seeing results faster and they're just at a, at a higher level than I was when they get to 21, 22, 23 years into the industry. So man, that's all I got for this week. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into this awesome episode with my guy, Jason Brown. It seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in this industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification takes the last 20 years of my life's work and puts it all into one massive course. In it, you're gonna learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. One of the best pieces of feedback I've gotten about the Complete Coach Cert is that people that train gin pop people and people that train high-level athletes and everyone in between is taking something away from the course. You also learn how to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. You're going to learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. 
And last but not least, I've got an entire section on my assessment process and how to use that to write programs faster and more effectively than ever before. Now, of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. Now, here's the thing. Spots for the certification only open twice per year for a limited time. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will open soon. And if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on that insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Cert when it launches. Jason Brown has been involved with the fitness industry for close to 17 years, working with a mix of both individuals and coaches. He's the owner of Jason Brown Coaching and specializes in working with guys over 35. He also provides education for fitness pros to help improve their programming. Last but not least, Jason is kind of an online training OG, having started coaching and training clients virtually way back in 2005. In this show, Jason and I cover a ton of topics, including his big rocks as a coach, the biggest mistakes he sees coaches making in their programs, and the advice he'd give to someone who wants to develop a blend of both strength and conditioning. This was a really fantastic interview, and I think you're going to love it. But enough for me. Let's do this. Jason, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to chat with you. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I've been in the fitness industry now for almost two decades, 17 years. And I started off, I think like a a lot of coaches back in 2003, 2004, reading T Nation articles. So, you know, obviously, right. I've read, I think I've read every article you've written. And that was like kind of my first, like, I would say more formal education. Yep. Um, But I was lucky enough to train and be an intern at a great uh, local strength and conditioning facility. And uh, that kind of started me off and I went on my own, started training clients, started experimenting with, with program design and whatnot. Fast forward to 2011, I opened a CrossFit gym, which I think when I first started out, I never thought that uh, CrossFit would be the route that I went, but lo and behold, uh, there was a lot of things that appealed to me to it because I went into the military after college. So I was kind of starting to think more about conditioning than I was about my strength. And I knew conditioning was always kind of a limiting factor for myself. So open a CrossFit gym, owned it for five years. And during that time, like my whole goal was to try to really blend a lot of what I knew about the strength and conditioning world into the CrossFit setting, working with just kind of regular people that want to look good, feel good, you know, all the things that, you know, basically modest goals that people are looking for. Right. And, um, that alone kind of sparked some interest from other gyms. Organically, I started writing other gyms programming, which was not something I planned on doing, but it just kind of (laughs) happens and turned into its own business. And I think, let's see, that was 2015 in a year's time. I had a hundred gyms I was writing their programs for. So it just became this kind of juggernaut of a business. And, it got to the point where I was doing so much working with other gyms that I didn't have time for my own gym. So I decided to sell my gym and just focus on one business and work with other CrossFit gyms to uh, facilitate writing their own programming. I own that business. It was called box programming. It was a great business, owned it uh, for what, five years. 
I actually sold that business uh, right after the pandemic and really started kind of focusing more on working with individuals, which is what I originally did and what I was most passionate about, um, as well as working with coaches to teach them how to write better training programs. And that's kind of where we're at present day. I, I own Jason Brown Coaching, work with individuals. I work with coaches to, to again, teach them how to write better training programs. And um, CrossFit is was a part of my journey. Strength and conditioning was a part of it. Learning about the conjugate method and Westside Barbell was part of it. And obviously energy systems and, and learning how to blend conditioning in a concurrent form of training was, was kind of a, a big piece of the puzzle for me. Uh, but that's kind of it in a nutshell. I think it's the quickest I've ever done my bio. So that's, that's pretty good, dude. Pat, that a pat on my back, I guess. Yeah, that's very <laughs> succinct. Yeah. So, so let's go way back in time. Like even before all that, like what originally got you into the world of strength and conditioning and physical preparation? So my mother was actually a power lifter. So I had been around That's the cool. gym ever since I was a, a very young kid. Yeah. Um, since I can remember, she used to take me to the gym with her. I was just always enamored by strong people and people that have muscles. <laughs> so it was just one of those things I just took to. I used to, uh, I had a, you know, an old rusty weight set. I used to literally take with me, put in the back of my parents' car when we went on vacation. I, you know, I do three or four exercises, probably curls and, I did floor presses. I didn't even know that what a floor press was, but I right. just like organically did a floor press with a, with an easy bar. And I just was always really into lifting weights. So it just kind of was a natural progression for me to, to want to get into you know, working at a strength and conditioning facility and working on my own, my own strength and, and being able to have that carry over to sports I was playing. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. I mean, I couldn't imagine if my mom was into powerlifting how psyched out I would have been because I was super into it back in the day. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome to watch your mom, like literally in the gym, getting stronger and like, what a great role model, you know, for you as a young child to look up to. Right. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it definitely piqued my interest. I was, uh, like I said, I was always just enamored by, you know, people like Arnold and old school bodybuilders and people that, looked apart, but also could walk the walk and and, yes. and move weight too, which was always really cool to me to see people that could do both. For sure. Okay. So talk to me about what you're doing on the day-to-day -day basis right now. Like talk to me about Jason Brown coaching, what you're doing there, who you're working with, all that good stuff. Yeah. So I work primarily with guys over 35. Uh, I'm 39. I've got three young kids. So I work, I've worked with a lot of people. I think like, I'm sure you can identify with this, but over the years, I've worked with like basically everyone, soccer moms, <laughs> athletes, young kids. And, you know, I think early on, you know, as a young coach, you don't have really the ability to selectively choose who you can work with. You really work with anyone just right. to get experience. And early on, that's kind of what I did. I worked with anyone I could possibly work with to get experience and just, just to obviously learn how people tick. And I've come to the point where it just made more sense to work with people that I could connect with on a personal level and understand their challenges. Yep. And, you know, 35 plus guys are just the guys that I tend to gravitate towards. I understand their challenges. I can connect with them on a personal level. And needless to say, I, I found it to be just a much better working relationship when you're really kind of niching down and working with the right client. So right now I have a group of guys I work with. I've got 43 guys in the group. We just started it actually a few months ago. It's It's a group format. So I'm I'm writing a customized training program. So I customize for their injuries. I put actually everyone through an assessment before starting. 
I customize for their injuries, I customize for their equipment, but everyone's kind of on a similar schedule with what we're doing right. on given days. So I'm not writing necessarily a one-off training program for every single person, but they're still getting coaching. I coach their movement on a, you know, a day-to-day basis. And um, the, honestly, the biggest part of it is our Facebook group. We just have people, you know, posting pictures of their meal prep, posting pictures of their, you know, videos of their lifts. So there's just a, an, an incredible community that is already transforming kind of uh, blossoming with, with this uh, thing that we've started. And it's been very, very powerful. I'm, I'm really, really excited about uh, where it's going and, and just the progress that these guys are already making. And having that support, I think is probably arguably the biggest part of it. The programming is one thing, but the support systems and, and everyone being in there and held accountable, I think is just a huge piece of the puzzle. So that's one thing that I'm doing. And the other thing I've been doing is teaching coaches how to write training programs. And, you know, it's, I've, I've built, uh, I'm on my third course that I built now. And the first two, the, the first one was, you know, now looking back, I, I think it's terrible, but it, you know, it was a decent <laughs> course. Right. My second one was a little better, but I think, you know, what I missed dropped the ball with, with teaching coaches. Um, and I learned this after I took on some coaches that needed mentoring this past year is that I missed the ball on teaching coaches, how to write programs the way I learned, which is basically through osmosis, looking at other great training programs. And, you know, I had coaches that went through my course and they're still asking very basic questions or they're still missing the boat on things like exercise order and, and sets, reps and rest and roll. I know some people listen right. might be thinking like sets, reps and rest and rolls. Isn't that like the most basic thing there is? <laughs> well, in some levels it is, but I still people, I still see coaches mess that up, hugely mess it up. And that has been kind of an epiphany for me where I said, I'm going to go back to drawing board and make a course that teaches people how to write programs the way I learned, which is again, by looking at templates and looking at great programs and being able to plug and play methods in the right order on the right days for the right reasons. So that's all my focus has been on that right now and just kind of getting all that stuff done in the back end piece of that. And as you know, it's uh, there's, there's all these elements that are outside of my scope, like marketing and copywriting and right. web design and graphic design. Um, but uh, we're, we're near the end of the road. We're almost like got this thing done. So pretty excited to get this thing rolling. That's awesome, man. I can't yeah. wait to check it out. So, okay. And that's actually works great because it kind of goes seamlessly into my first question. But I'd love to hear, just for starters, how you would describe your overarching philosophy or your big rocks as a coach. My overarching philosophy is I use a concurrent form of training. I I think strength and conditioning are synonymous. I don't think they're two separate things. And we use both of them to drive each other. So, you know, there are certain things that, you know, I don't follow a linear style of training, um, to, to maybe put it a little bit clearer. I believe that every day is different, right? So I don't think there should be rigidity to following percentages or trying to peak at a certain time. My guys, and, and honestly, everyone I've worked with, you know, it's just unrealistic. There's just so many changes, variable change. I mean, you, you have a stressful day at work or, you know, God forbid, there's so many stressful things that are going on now in our world to try to adhere to some rigid training schedule. I've just not seen that to be optimal or prudent for nine out of 10 people. Right. The other piece of the puzzle is having 
more of a set structure in in terms of where we do certain things with regards to just placement of higher threshold training and putting people in a position where they can recover within the week and not be continuously stressed out. I think that people just make the mistake of thinking that more is more. And I always use the analogy that the human body is not a gumball machine. You don't put a quarter in and you get a gumball out every time. Eventually there (laughs) is a, there is a point of diminishing returns. So if you're constantly stressing people out, that are already chronically stressed out, that already have stressful jobs and poor sleep habits, and God forbid what, what their diet is, then you are you are putting people in a position to overtrain. So I think like probably like putting that into one thing would be like, I'm a big believer in less is more. Yeah. And training better, not training harder or more, but you know, better is better, not more isn't better. Love it. Love it. And something I want to note or kind of riff on for a second here is. You talked about strength and conditioning kind of being the same thing. And this is something that a lot of people don't think about. And I know I've mentioned this a handful of times, but people assume when you write a conditioning workout and they're like, oh, 10 seconds on, 60 seconds off. Like that just makes sense, right? Because everything is in seconds. But they don't understand that when you're writing a lifting program, you know, when you take your tempo times the number of repetitions that you're doing, well, hey, you've got a work to rest ratio there. You're just using a different way to describe it. And so many people don't think of it like that. But when you tell them, you're like, oh, wait, so there's a conditioning element to this too? I'm like, yes, absolutely. That's a, I mean, that's a great point. I actually never, I never thought about describing it that way, but that's uh, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. That's a, that's definitely a way that some people might understand it better and, and be able to make better connections to what it actually is. For sure. So in our email conversation prior to the show, you mentioned, and you mentioned it here as well, that a lot of people are just missing some of these really basic principles of program design. So mm-hmm. would you mind like going in depth a little bit more on that? Like, why do you think this is the case? Why are we not understanding like these very basic elements, like sets, reps, time under tension, rest periods? You know, I think that now, as opposed to like when I started off, I think it's a, it's a very different world with how we receive our information. So like, for instance, myself, like I had the privilege of like reading your articles, which were always, there was always so much detail and you, you have a whole series on program design, which for anyone that's listening, if you haven't read them, go back and read them because you went through a lot of these, uh, again, really the points today that I think that people just gloss over and they don't think that are important. And I think that, people, you know, a lot of coaches today see what's on social media and it's, it's all driven by what you look like. It's not driven by what you actually know. It's driven by what you look like and how sexy the exercises are. Yep. So they just think that, well, if I rest less, I'm going to get better results. Right. But again, you know, we're kind of skipping how biology works. I mean, it's just not how the body works. So if you want to understand this stuff better, Unfortunately, you have to go to the back to the drawing board and some of very basic things that, you know, if you went in the essentials of strength training and conditioning textbook, it's not super sexy. And no one's talking about that stuff in their Instagram feed, because again, you're not going to get a whole lot of likes for that. Right. So I feel like we become really conditioned to like put out information that gets a lot of likes, a lot of views. And, and even for myself, like if I could post what I want to post daily, and I, and I try to find ways that's the challenge is right. And another thing I didn't mention is trying to find ways to talk about this stuff and make it so people connect to it um, right. in a way that challenges them to think a little bit outside the box. So I think that might be why I don't think as many people are going through the archives and T nation like they should be and reading some of these old articles that 
you know, have, I mean, literally have the keys to the kingdom in them. Right. I mean, those pro that program design series you, you, you wrote has, you know, so much great information that coaches today are not even thinking about what is the optimal rest period for, you know, if you're doing sprints on a bike and you're only resting 30 seconds, then guess what? You're going to do a couple sprints at high intensity and the rest are going to be low intensity. They're going to be a aerob- high intensity aerobic work. And, and again, that's one of those things that it's not sexy to learn about, but if you want your clients to be staying with you for life, you want to retain clients for life and have them continuously make progress. You better be a master at sets, reps, and rest intervals, yeah. both strength and conditioning. Otherwise you're going to be just like everyone else doing shit to do shit and not have an actual precise reason or a why behind what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. The person you described before that just like bounces around from exercise to exercise. I used to describe that as like the cardio bunny, right? Yeah. Like they're just like kind of doing stuff and it's a steady state the whole time. Like they're bopping around, but there's no real intensity to what they're doing. And you know, a lot of times what people want, like the goals that they want to achieve. Hey, there's a time and a place for like your long duration, low intensity stuff. But there's also a time for, hey, I'm going to go really hard and then I'm going to rest so that I can go really hard again. And and again, it's, it's like foundational to us, but it's funny that like you're finding so many people that aren't grasping that. Well, so it's, you know, what's interesting too is when I worked with CrossFit gyms I, and I, you know, didn't say this, but I kind of got burnt out doing it because I was, I had to win over the owner, but I also had to win over their coaches and I also had to win over their clients. So it was like kind of this like three pronged attack. I had to win over all these people and I was doing things very different. If anyone has read any of my articles on CrossFit, you can go to, uh, I have one on John Russell's site called CrossFit Smarter. Everything I was doing in the CrossFit world was not like having a set schedule of things, doing aerobic work, (laughs) doing a cool, doing a cool down. I mean, what a novel idea, cool down (laughs) after you train, doing single joint exercises was not something that was traditional in the CrossFit world. And this is the stuff that we did at my own gym. And, you know, lo and behold, we got people incredible results. We didn't have people burning out or getting injured. And that was the stuff that it was hardest to get people to buy into because it was quote unquote different. But I think that just trying to push that, that, uh, I guess, arena with CrossFit coaches and say like, Hey, maybe did you think about doing it this way? Or did you think about maybe doing some low intensity work? Um, and how that can have an effect on how someone handles stress and, and, you know, invariably how they handle, uh, the training overall, the high intensity training. That was the, I think the turning point for me to get more coaches to start looking outside of the box, no pun intended with what there was to be gained by doing some things that maybe on paper didn't look great. Like doing a farmer carry, you know, a clean and jerk on paper looks a lot cooler than a farmer carry. Right. But how many people can do a clean and jerk? Right. Correctly. Right. How many people can re if they're trying to get the adaptations, they're trying to get a speed strength adaptation from a clean and jerk. How many people that walk into a CrossFit gym can actually move 75 to 85% with enough speed and enough efficiency to get a speed strength adaptation? Right. Probably, you know, you're, you're pressed, like not Not out of 10 people, maybe one. So I just don't like those odds. So I would play with the odd things that would favor, you know, my programming, like the odds would go up. If we do a farmer carry and a sled push, the odds go up. If we do a clean and jerk and a kipping pull up, the odds go down. And that's kind of, you know, what, what I saw would be just a big challenge that kind of burnt me out was trying to get people to buy into that. And you now it was definitely a tricky, a tricky scenario for sure. Well, I can only imagine because 
you really need a couple things to happen, right? Number one, you need the people you're working with and trying to sell essentially to be willing to change, right? Like you, you mm-hmm. need to educate them. Number two, you need time, right? Because everybody wants things immediately, right? And so any type of program that you write is going to take times to elicit an adaptation. And third, mm-hmm. you got to get a result too, right? So you got to yeah. hope that they're doing the other things outside of the gym or not doing other things that creates interference that holds them back. So exactly. that's pretty cool that you pulled that off, man. That's impressive. You know, they would always say that the funny part is, is that they'd say, oh, their clients, my clients don't like the programming. They don't like it. It's not hard enough. But <laughs> it, it always ends with this. But they feel better, look better, and their lifts have gone up. I'm like, I quit. <laughs> right. I quit. Right. I'm done. I quit. <laughs> yeah. I got it. Oh, that's funny, man. Okay. So another thing that's really interesting is, you know, all this work that you're doing, helping mentor young coaches and teaching them about program design. I'm really interested. What are some of the big mistakes that you see people consistently making when it comes to writing programs? Well, again, I, I go back to my second course had was just chock full of science, you know, yeah. lots of exercise metabolism, you know, lots of looking at the nervous system and understanding different aspects of the nervous system and not understanding again, the basics. So, you know, I think one thing that I see regularly is exercise order, not understanding mechanical tension, muscle damage, and metabolic stress. And usually like if someone tries to order things, you know, there's just a disconnect. Like it's like putting a med ball or a physio ball hamstring curl as your main lift of the day. (laughs) When in reality, you know, and programming it for five sets of five, it's like kind of a mismatch. doesn't really work that way. Right. Um, So I see like people trying to force feed the wrong movements at the wrong times for the wrong reasons Mm. versus you know, if you want a mechanical tension adaptation, then we should go for with a front squat for five by five. And we can use metabolic stress with our physio ball hamstring curl as maybe a finisher. Um, so that's one of the things I see people get wrong is just where they're putting certain exercise variations within a day of training. And then a lot of times I see people using too many exercises, you know, they're using eight, nine, 10 exercises per session. And, you know, I always kind of say like, well, I, I asked a, a one of the people I was working with, you know, who they're working with and what is their goals and, you know, what kind of just some basic information. And I'm like, well, this is, this is a lot, this is more volume than I would use it myself. It was, you know, five sets of 10 across the board for eight to nine exercises. I'm like, you know, think about the total volume here that you have in this, this session. This would take me two hours to do this. And I would be broken for like a week after this session. So, you know, sometimes you need to step outside of yourself and think like, you know, how are they going to take in what you've given them? How are they going to make sense of that? And then I think one of the bigger things, because of a session that has such a vast number of exercises, coaches forget that their clients aren't them. So let's just think in the virtual world, I, I do everything I do is remote. So my client has to look at imagine if you had to look at eight to 10 exercise demos, which I mean, how long 60 to two minutes per demo each. So if that's just for the exercises. What about the warm up? What about the cool down? What about how they're executing it? Okay, now I got to remember, oh wait, how many sets and reps and rest? What was a rest interval? So it's a lot for someone to take in. So I I see that being a major problem with online coaches. They're trying to put too much into a given session, and they're forgetting that their clients have to take in all this information 
and then get it done in what a 60 minute time frame? not happening. Right. So that is a, a major piece, just the efficiency of the session. So I usually have them down regulate to four to five exercises a session. And, you know, again, step outside of themselves and think about, you know, your client is not an exercise physiologist. They don't know every single exercise. So if you're programming a split stance RDL with a landmine, they're going to have to watch that demo maybe a couple of times. And you have to factor that in and how long these sessions are potentially going to take them. That's such a great point. So I remember we talked a couple of months ago and we came on to this exact same topic. And I mean, it's like four to six exercises. Like people are like shocked when you tell them that. But if you look at West Side, generally it was like four to five exercises. If you look at bodybuilders, like a true like bodybuilding, like chest day. Yeah, it's all chest, but it's like four or five exercises. Right. Like it like it looks like this repeatedly across the board. So that's why when like college athletes, I hate to say it because college strength coaches probably hate me. But oh, okay, I'm going to preface this. Only really bad college strength coaches hate me because they're yeah. the ones that like spit the, oh, here's the softball program. And it comes out and it's got like five upper body exercises and then five lower body exercises on the same training day. It's mm -hmm. like, that's trash. Like nobody is going to follow that. So you're absolutely spot on with that. And I just, I couldn't fathom trying to do eight to 10 exercises with any sort of intensity in the gym. Cause like you said, I would be wrecked for like a week. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's just so much to take in. I mean, I feel like that's a topic. That's a great topic in and of itself. I've talked about that one quite a bit. How many exercises per, per session? What, what's the optimal amount? And again, four to six is usually right where it is. And, you know, the, the school of programming I came from, the programs that I was looking at, and even it's funny, I still got the binder right here of all my training programs from the facility I trained at. It's awesome. And I always refer back to them. It's the same thing, four to six exercises. So I didn't know it back then, but that was my formal training. And that is still true today. I mean, you're talking, that was how long? 16, 17 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right around the time too, you were, I think you were ramping up, you know, your content on T nation and, uh, and I'm pretty sure that was a lot of the stuff you were saying a lot of the same things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, like, even if you want to do more stuff, you just have to understand, Hey, maybe you can get six to eight exercises in there. Just know that intensity is going down. Right. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, and so that's one thing that I always try and explain to people is like, know the rules before you start trying to break them. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So one other thing Love that, that that I know you're really passionate about is conditioning. And I know, because I was one of them, that a lot of coaches really struggle to integrate this into their programs and to do it at a high level. So mm -hmm. what suggestions or advice do you have someone for someone who wants to blend strength and conditioning into their workouts? That's a good one. Yeah. So, I, you know, for me, I think uh, what got me going with this was CrossFit. So I credit CrossFit for that because I probably would have been just a strength guy and I wouldn't have delved into conditioning, but for me, actually the low hanging fruit was the aerobic system. I was always very much handicapped aerobically, mm. but I was really good anaerobically. And so that's another story. But what I came to realize, like kind of through my own trial and error that aerobic work doesn't make you slow. And I know Joel talks about this quite a bit. Yep. Aerobic work doesn't make you slow. And I always thought that if I, if I jog, oh, I'm going to get slower, I'm going to get worse. I'm going to lose muscle. I'm going to lose strength. And I've just not found that to be the case. Now, of course, there are caveats to that. And I think that this is the key, the key thing with, I can't have, basically with everything we've been talking about is 
the optimal dose, right? Yep. So sets for, again, back to sets, reps, and rest intervals. What is the optimal dose? And with conditioning, finding that optimal dose. So, you know, people will think, well, if, if you have someone, you know, doing a half marathon once a week as their conditioning, then yeah, that's not going to work well if their goal is to get stronger and to look better naked. So you need, you need to find the optimal dose and you need to also find what it is you can use to deliver that optimal dose. Now, for me, the thing that coaches should integrate into their programming, I'll just make this very simple, is the cardiac output method. Mm-hmm. If you're going to integrate anything right now and you say you don't know how to do it, Let's say you know nothing about conditioning, but you know how to program strength. Well, most coaches do not have their clients doing strength training, or let's just say, you know, you use conjugate format. You do two max effort days, two dynamic effort days. You're not doing that more than four days a week. So what are you doing the other days? Well, the other days, and it's funny, people don't realize this, but Westside is actually, Louie is a great conditioning coach because they're pulling sleds on their off days for 30 to 40 minutes. They're pulling light sleds and doing high volume band work. So they're doing aerobic work, but needless to say, those days that you aren't doing anything, you know, if you're doing four days of strength training, the other days, you can use the cardiac output method. What is cardiac output? It's 30 to 40 minutes of cyclical work. So row, bike, run, light jog. I, I, like to stay away from prescribing jogging because it's it kind of a hit or miss. Some right. people will go for a jog and that'll make them real sore. Um, they'll have, you know, a lot of localized soreness and delayed onto muscle soreness that will take away from their training. So I usually like to keep it, uh, unless they're a great runner, of course, to more of, uh, you know, again, go to the gym, use a stairmaster, use a bike, use a rower, uh, use an incline treadmill and do that for 30 to 40 minutes. And the key component is that, it needs to be conversational. And this is yeah. where people struggle because it's easy. It's not hard to do cardiac output style work. You need to keep your heart rate in the correct range. Otherwise, you are not going to get the adaptations that we're looking for, which is to improve cardiac output, which is basically a product of a heart rate and stroke volume. It's your ability to pump blood to the extremities. So if you can keep the heart rate in the 60 to 70% range, steady state, steady state cardio, it's low intensity, steady state cardio. So it can't be any simpler than that. But the key element is, is that you have to use cyclical patterns. You can't use global patterns. If you do a front squat and a burpee, guess what? (laughs) Your heart rate is going to go outside of the range, right? It's going to be too high. And this is something I did in CrossFit for years. I didn't know that my aerobic system was so terrible because I never did any low intensity aerobic work. It was all outside of the 150, 155 range, you know, and even up more towards max, which was another story. But um, if you can do this, Let's just say you do it once a week because you're doing no conditioning right now, or your clients are doing no conditioning. You add one cardiac output session a week, get back to me in four weeks and tell me that your clients don't feel significantly better. And they're starting to notice other things change like their strength metrics, because it's going to improve recovery, you know, hands down. Yeah. So that would be what I would recommend if you are not do prescribing any conditioning. And I know like, you know, you can buy programs online. I've, I've bought plenty of programs over the years and they, there's no conditioning. Yeah. It's like, here's your strength training. Well, where's my conditioning? You, you need to have conditioning in there. It's low hanging fruit for everyone. So especially now, especially, you know, with the world that we live in, just how stressed out people are, we need to drive stress levels down. People are living in a sympathetic state all the time. It's a good way to just, again, downregulate the stress response and start thinking about other things, other vital metrics like the resting heart rate. Yeah, I love it, man. 
Uh, so I wrote down a couple things here because you made a couple great points. So number one, shout out to Joel because, I mean, look, I was arguably the worst conditioning coach on the planet circa 2010. And it wasn't really until I started reading his stuff until I had mm. athletes, field sports athletes where conditioning was legitimately their limiting factor that I realized how important this is. So I wanted to give him a shout out. Number two, you mentioned Dave and you mentioned Louie. Like, dude, they had some just classic articles. I mean, you talk about the T-Nation days. Yeah, uh, you're right. Totally. Like, Louie put GPP on the map, and then Dave right. and some of the stuff that he was talking about. Like, he he wrote this article about sled dragging and talking about how out of shape he was. He, like, walked up a hill and was literally about ready to, like, go in this mess hall and just vomit. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were, like, great educational articles, but hilarious as well. But I think one of the things that I wanted to riff on with you was you put this, you do your quizzes on Instagram. Yeah. And I think it was a week or two ago. And you put up this example of, you know, this guy super stressed out. How would you write his program? One of your options, which I'm happy to say I did. I didn't note it, but I was thinking like, yeah, he should do two strength and one like aerobic recovery type day. And I was shocked because you really had to like defend that. I felt like. Like the value of that. And I don't think most people understand like, okay, there is value in strength work, but strength work inherently is a high intensity method. Sure. And so these people that are chronically stressed, that are fight or flight 24 seven, like Mm -hmm. they need low intensity recovery work. So I was so glad you were putting it out there. Even if you had to defend it a little bit, it was great to see that. Yeah, no, that's, those are, those are funny ones. And I think the key word to that is the guy was, uh, he was in law enforcement. Yes. So if you don't think law enforcement are stressed out right now, then I mean, you're living under a rock. So, <laughs> right. and that's, that's, I mean, that's a key element to, you know, even with, with a lot of the people I've worked with, a lot of the guys I work with, one of the things I ask anyone that's coming on to work with me is what their resting heart rate is. Um, and, you know, taking it first thing in the morning. And I've had a couple guys in the eighties and nineties. I mean, oh my gosh, we're talking like you're waking up and you're, your fight or flight as soon as you're waking up. Right. I've got kids screaming at 6 a.m. every day, and I still take my resting heart, and it's nowhere near. I mean, I'm still in the high 50s. So, right. you know, and again, that's why I, I like to work with, with you know, usually dads and guys that are a little older because I can relate to them more. And I know that if I'm able to be relatively low, even with screaming kids, then there's something <laughs> wrong that we need to delve into a little bit further. For sure. Okay, so something... I really wanted to touch on with you is this idea of online coaching, because Mm -hmm. obviously there's in person and you're working with somebody, but things change and you're doing a lot of online coaching these days. So talk to us a little bit about the biggest differences that you have or some of the baby, the barriers that you deal with when you're training someone online versus in person. Well, so I think the first thing is that there's nothing real time. So if someone does a lift and, you know, I can't correct them on the spot. I can't say, get your belt buckle up or sit back in your heels. You know, some of those cues, I can't give that right away. So there's a turnaround time. So, you know, if I see someone's movements on Monday, they don't get to see those movements again until the following Monday and make the corrections then. Right. So that's obviously a challenge and, you know, it presents some, some, it could present some issues. I, I think one of the main things is, is that coaches that are working with people online, I hope that they have done a fair amount of in-person. Now, what is the number? I don't know. I mean, I, 
I did a, a lot of in-person, you know, thousands of hours. I mean, I've coached 25 hours of just CrossFit classes. So <laughs> that doesn't even include, you know, everything before that and after. Right. So I would hope that they have a pretty vast, a pretty deep understanding of what coaching someone in person is like before they attempt to do it online. But when you move to online or if you're going to, you know, do the remote game, it's very important to make sure that you are bringing on people that you are comfortable coaching. So I said early on, you know, I coached everyone, but I don't coach everyone now. And I only take on certain people. I don't take on any beginners anymore. I just, yeah. you know, it's something that I, I'm not sure doing coaching beginners remotely is feasible. Yeah. I say that lightly. I, I just, it's not something I do. So I can't comment on it. Can't, can't sit here and tell you I'm an expert in training beginners online. Cause I don't do it. I train people that have a very solid understanding of the foundational movement patterns They've been training for at least five years and they know what's going on. Most of the people I work with have home gyms that are like almost as good as a commercial gym. Right. So they're serious about their training. They're not weekend warriors. They've been training and they are serious enough to invest in a home gym. So, you know, I think that that is probably the, the biggest challenge is, is making sure that you are bringing on the right clients, that you are comfortable coaching and, uh, you know, knowing that you're going to give them feedback, but they're not going to be able to implement those changes seven days until seven days later. Right. Right. Okay. So I'm really interested in this because everybody is pitching online training, right? Mm -hmm. Like ads and like, Oh, add a thousand dollars a month to your bottom line, whatever. Sure. What, what advice would you give to a coach that is they're legitimately in the trenches? They're doing good work. They're trying to improve as a coach, but they also know, Hey, I'm kind of limited by geography or I'm limited by time, they want to get in the online game, what advice would you give them to get started? Well, I think any business has systems, right? So I would say putting some systems in place. How are you onboarding people? What questions are you asking? Who are you onboarding? Who is your ideal client? You know, one of the things I regret not doing more of is learning more about marketing and learning more about business. Mm -hmm. I learned everything I could learn about being a coach and which, you know, is great. Unfortunately, you know, at this stage of the game, I need to know about marketing and business strategy too. So right. if you want to be an online business, you need to have some systems and you need to use software. You, you know, you're not writing, you're not using Google sheets anymore. So just, right. if you use Google sheets right now, just forget about using Google sheets. You need to use some type of software to deliver your programming because <laughs> I mean, you've you, done it, you, you've you, done you, it, right? You, like you've done Google, Google sheets and like board. hyperlink yeah. everything. Yes, I know. Yeah. So using some type of software, would be a good place to start in, in figuring out who you want to work with. But I would hope that you have a firm grasp on being able to correct movement. Uh, you've worked with people in person where you could correct, you could teach them how to hip hinge, how to squat, how to push, how to pull, how to carry all those things. And the natural progression would be if, if you have done that and you've had success with it, moving online would be a, a, a good thing to do. Now, if you're training people in person, I think personally, if I was still owned a facility right now, I would have a hybrid model. I would have some people in person some days, and I would have some people remote other days where essentially it's kind of the best of both worlds. They can have some flexibility. They can maybe train from home, but they can still get the hands-on experience. I think that's a, a fantastic place to start if you are currently doing in person and maybe you want to supplement with you know some remote training as well with those same people that do come to your facility. Mm, I like that. Yeah. One thing that I don't think enough people re respect is if you are coaching in real time, right? Mm -hmm. 
you can be kind of haphazard in your queuing and maybe throw out five or 10 cues. And you know, on the ninth or 10th one, you get the desired result, right? Right. You don't have that luxury when you're writing a program, right? Like if you're seeing somebody online, you got to be like legitimately like a sniper. Like Mm. this is the one thing that I need them to focus on or for them to get to get the intended result. And I don't think that's something that people understand. They just think, oh yeah, it's just like training somebody in person, but it's not. Because just like you alluded to earlier, like not only do they have to read the coaching cues, but they've got to see, okay, I got to watch this video or this demo. And like you said, sometimes it's multiple times if it's new or something unfamiliar. So there's a lot of constraints there and you've really got to have, I think your in-person coaching buttoned up first before you ever think about going online. I agree because like you said, it's going to be a week later. So are they going to remember what you told them? Right. Um, so, so it's got to be very concise. You can't give them 10 cues. I mean, you're right. going to give them one cue to fix what's going on. Maybe it's, you know, it might be as simple as, as just dropping their loading. Right. Use less load or use an empty barbell. I've got a guy right now that can't hip hinge worth of crap. And <laughs> uh, you know, there's no point of adding any load until he learns how to hip hinge. And actually it's funny. He's actually a close friend of mine. So he's like probably the most beginner I would take on, you know, just yeah. to, I'm like, you know how it is trying to help friends out. They, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, they never stick to what you give them, but, um, but needless to say that he's a great friend of mine and he's helped me out a lot with, uh, with real estate. So I want to uh, try to help him and, you know, you got to put yourself in your client's shoes. How much, how many hurdles are there for them to get through a day of programming? Are they looking at 10 exercises, 10 demo videos, and then your warm up, and then your cool down, and now they have to remember your coaching cues. That's yeah. a lot to take in. So, I would you. This is where being an expert in program design and knowing what exercises to choose, because I think the best sign of a great coach is restraint. It's mm-hmm. not what you put into a program; it's what you don't put into a program. For sure. I mean, that's a hallmark of a great coach. I have worked with a lot of coaches now one on one, and I only can think of one who is actually in your course right now, who has the signs of like just that restraint, which is a, again, I think a veteran, it's a real veteran move to be able to, to not throw out the kitchen sink at someone. Yeah. For right? sure, man. For sure. Okay. My guy, big question time. If you could alter the space time continuum and give young Jason Brown, one piece of advice, what would it be? It would be marketing and business. You know, I, I was going to learn everything I wanted to learn about, about strength and conditioning. I mean, that's, you know, was just going to happen organically, but I think that a lot of people don't want to learn about things that they are uncomfortable with. And, you know, for me, it's, I'm not comfortable with marketing and and business stuff as much as I would like to be. And um, those are the things I just thought, well, I'll just write content. You know, I'll just, I'll just do what Mike Robertson did. I'll just write articles for T nation and that'll be enough. And in this day and age, and now how the world is evolving, and the space is evolving. I I would I would have liked to have learned more about marketing. And again, I think that no one knows your business the way you do. So you 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 can't just outsource that stuff and expect it to get done. And I've I've learned in a very expensive way yeah. <laughs> working with marketing people over the last few years that if I had known more, I could have saved time and money. Yeah. That's hindsight's already always 2020, 20, right? So for sure, for sure. And I think look, this, there's a legitimate point to be made here too. Like if you don't learn those things, you limit your ability to impact others. Right. And that's why, look, we never get into coaching 
to become millionaires, right? Like we would have found a different way or an easier way. There's probably a lot easier ways to make a million dollars than there is, you know, in strength and conditioning. Mm -hmm. But when you start to look around and, and it's not even a jealousy thing, it's more of like a, hey, look, I'm watching this person on Instagram and they legitimately don't know what they're talking about. Right. right. I feel like I have something valuable to learn. I'm limiting my impact by not educating myself on these other things. I think that is a great it's a great motivator to start getting into that stuff and realizing, hey, look, I don't need to be world class at this, but I have to be better because right, right now, right. just like we would in training. Right. You have to look at what are my rate limiters and mm -hmm. your business right now. It's not your ability to coach others or right. have an impact there. It's like, hey. I need to be a better marketer. I need to be a better business person so that I can provide a bigger or make a bigger impact in the industry. Exactly. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. And I, I was lucky enough. My, my wife is, is pretty good with that stuff and she works with me. And if I didn't, I would be, <laughs> I would be up, you know, what's Creek. Yes. <laughs> I love it, man. All right. So last but not least, we got our lightning round Four fairly short questions. Your answers can be as long or short as you like. So okay. number one, I love asking this. What's your career highlight so far as a coach? That's a tricky one. I would say I have a book coming out for human kinetics. Okay. Uh, it's actually supposed to be out this month, but I think it's delayed. Uh, the publisher's delayed until April. So I wrote a book uh, during the pandemic, which was nice. probably not the right time to be writing a, writing a book. <laughs> um, you know, because obviously, you know, business is going haywire and there's a lot of things happening. But I... I managed to get this book done. It's on lower body training, lots of stuff on lower body programming. And I'm super proud of it. It came out great. And uh, I think I would probably put that up there. I, I, uh, it was one of those things as I was going through it, I'm like, how am I going to get this done in time? And right. uh, needless to say, it got done. But I would, I think I would probably put that at the top of my list. That would probably be it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That it's one of those things where, I've created a lot of stuff, but I've never, and even like manuals, but I've never written a book per se. So it's kind of always in the back of my mind, like, ah, oh, it's something I should do. Like, you know, put, put the you check You can take mark. all your content and, and like, I know, easily right? make it into a book. I know. I know. It's just the physical act of doing that. So, sure. <laughs> okay, cool. Number two, talk to me about the program design course that you were working on. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, one thing I dropped the ball on was teaching coaches how I learned how to write program. And again, I learned how to write programs by just looking at programs and plugging and playing, you know, having a side-by-side. -side, and this was back when we used pen and paper, which I know you're still a yeah. fan of plugging and playing the programming based off what I had seen in front of me. So I've created a course that is literally templates for 30 different scenarios uh, with sample programming so collectively, there's about two years worth of programming that someone could extrapolate from what's there for 30 different scenarios and 30 different scenarios are the scenarios that I found to be most common in my course of my career. Wow. And within that course, there is, it's, it revolves around everything related to programming. So exercise order, sets, reps, rest intervals, a full library of all strength and conditioning methods with no fluff. So like conditioning methods, as you know, there's a million of them. I only put the methods in that I use. Yeah. So like, for instance, there's a fair amount of aerobic methods, but there's not many anaerobic methods. Anaerobic methods I go into in the course, I, for nine out of 10 people are not prudent. Not most people can't even do them, <laughs> utilize them correctly. So I've only included like two methods for the phosphagen system, two methods for the glycolytic system. Again, 
you know, it's low hanging fruit stuff. So I, I really tried to make it concise what we were going to put into this, um, how to write a program, step-by-step -step guide, how to write a program, how to program per muscle group. You know, every muscle group has different fiber type. So a lot of really, really cool stuff when it comes to programming and being able to give them a, a very clear guide about what the programming looks like. Hey, you're programming for a two time a week client. That's a, a beginner to intermediate. Here's a schedule. Here's what you can plug in. Here's what it could look like. Here's what the programming looks like and literally done for them. Here's what it is. You can take that and write your own programming side by side. It could be different variations, but I've given you basically it's, I call it the playbook of yeah. how to write great programming. Um, and honestly, I can't, if I always think I say to my wife, I'm like, man, I wish I had something like this, you know, cause this is like a polished, you know, everything is there. The conditioning is there, how to use it in a concurrent form. Um, and I, even one of my professors I connected with in graduate school, he does a lot of the science oh, in there. Cool. So he came on with me and, uh, it is it's just a killer. It's going to be a killer thing. I'm, I'm super excited for it. Look, anytime you can think about something you create and think, damn, I wish I would have had this mm. when I was a, yeah, a young coach, you're onto something, you know what I mean? So that's awesome. Well, I think today too has changed so much because I, I think that people just learn better just seeing it. A yeah. lot of people just buy my programs. A lot of coaches I know buy my programs. They just want to see what it looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that this is like, here are all the scenarios Here's what you will likely encounter and here's what you can do. And then you've got a very organized library with the videos and me talking about how to program it and how to use it. They just got a resource, like an ultimate resource that they can have forever to lean on. They don't have to go scour through te textbooks to find out what is the proper rest interval for mechanical tension. Well, here it is organized for you right there. You're Love good it. to go and start writing killer programs so you can have a sustainable business. Love it, man. Okay. We didn't get to dive into this too much, but you train a lot of guys over 35. I might fall into that camp. What's your best advice to them? It's a good one. <laughs> I would say best advice to them is to really start focusing on their diet. Mm. It's, you know, a lot of guys like us that have been in the trenches training for a long time, the training is kind of the easy part. You know, obviously yeah. we're, we're still going to push ourselves in the, in the weight room, but I have found personally for myself that the weekends are killer when you have kids, like yeah. it's so hard to stay compliant. Um, and I, I tell my guys, you know, we shoot for 90% compliance. If you eat, you know, let's say you eat 30 meals a week, total 10% of that. So three meals, you can eat whatever you want in a week. Yeah. Um, and that's what we shoot for. And that's the thing I found to be hardest over the years as I've gotten older. So it's not the training. They, this, these guys will do the training. If I gave you training, I know you'd do it. Right. But can you stay compliant with your nutrition? Cause that is going to be the biggest game changer for you. It's not going to be how much your trap bar deadlift is. It's going to be, did you stay 90% compliant? And as we get older, we know that, you know, we don't get the same gains that we used to get in our twenties. So we have to be vigilant with the diet. Dude. I'm so glad you said that because you said Cody McBroom is your boy, right? Yeah, I love Cody. Yeah, I've, I've uh, he I used him for for a while with just like staying on my diet and kind of the accountability. I think is the the biggest piece of the puzzle for for anyone, you know. Absolutely. So it, it's just funny because I got 
Cody. And then by default, I got Trevor, uh, who's helping me with my nutrition right now. And, you know, I think you always have this idea in your brain. We have this way of rationalizing like, oh, yeah, I eat pretty well, you know, and I do. But your point with with kids, I think weekends change everything. Right. So we do like a pizza movie night and it's like, hey, look, not only do you realize, wow, I mean, and, and you know this, right? But you kind of find some way to rationalize against it. But it's like, okay, pizza is high carb, high fat, generally low protein. So, oh, wow, what one day do I consistently like miss on hitting my targets every week? It's that day. So yeah, right. gr- that's such great advice. And like, look, like just be realistic. When you're over 35 or 45, whatever your age is, like you just have less wiggle room. Mm-hmm. You got to be a little bit tighter and more dialed in throughout the week. Totally. And I, I think that weekend, you know, I, I uh, tell people to, I don't have everyone, all my guys tracking, but if you can track on the weekend, because for me, I, for years, I would track during the week and then I would skip on the weekend. <laughs> and then yeah. when I started working with Cody, I started tracking on the weekend. Guess what I found? I was eating 135 grams of fat and yeah. hundred grams of protein. Yeah. It's like, wow. Yes. When you start, you know, taking inventory of what you're actually doing, you know, you, you learn very quickly that, oh, wow, I'm eating 135 grams of fat. That's, you know, my, my allowance for the day is like 70. Yeah. So I'm not really helping myself out. And I, I think too, people don't realize that they can sabotage an entire week by the weekend. You know, two days is enough to sabotage five. Yeah. Um, and that for me has always been the game changer. I can start to see results when I start dialing in my weekend of eating. So one more sidebar here. Uh, my guy, Scott Shooty, I believe is how I pronounce his last name. But he talks about the 5-2-0 diet. Five days of perfect compliance, two bad days on the weekend, zero results. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he told me that. I was like, yes. I was like, yes, yeah. that is so true. Okay. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Jason Brown? Got the program design course. What else? Anything else you're excited about? Honestly, this course is uh, is going to be and you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping this is going to be the, the thing for us. We're going to continue. We, I've got my group of guys. It's called everyday hero. We, I do it by the season. Mm-hmm. So every, a season's 13 weeks. We've got a, a winter season, which is, you know, gaining, basically getting swole, gaining strength. Yep. We've got a, a spring season, which is getting shredded. We've got a summer season, which is maintaining what we've gained. And then we've, you know, kind of start over the process in the fall, but we're, we only do signups for that every 13 weeks. So we're growing that community, but it's, it's one of those things that, uh, I want to keep small. I want to keep the, the quality very, very high. So I have guys apply for that now. Uh, so I'm really excited about continuing to grow that. And yeah, the course is, is, you know, I'm a big believer in teaching a man how to fish. And I think that yes. this is going to be the way that they do it. Of course, you know, I, I, there are a lot of things that are not in this course. Like this course is not going to teach you how to spot faults. It's right. not going to teach you anatomy. So I, I do think that there are, there is still coaches that are going to need, you know, they need to be coaching in person. They need to be taking your course. They need to be learning, you know, how to coach the foundational movement patterns. But of course, too, they need to learn the basics of program design and they need to learn how to put strength and conditioning seamlessly within the same week of training and not have one interfere with the other. I love it, man. I love it. Can't wait. So it's been great catching up with you today. Awesome show, man. Just really fun, fun discussion. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great work you're doing? They can go to jasonbrowncoaching.com. Got a ton of content there. 
I've got a column on elite FTS. I've got articles on T nation. This article is all over the place. I mean, you can, <laughs> if you're still into reading articles, there's, there's plenty of them out there. I've got probably close to a thousand articles. And then on Instagram post a lot on there, post every day uh, at Jason Brown coaching. So Love check it. that stuff out. Love it, man. I'll make sure we get all the links in the show notes, but again, man, so great catching up with you. Thanks for coming on. All right, Mike. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Jason. Really hope you enjoyed it. He is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the topics of program design, conditioning. The guy's done a ton. He's seen a lot of different areas of our fitness industry. So it's really great having people like him on who can help kind of show us, you know, like, hey, look, I'm coaching and mentoring people in real time. These are the things and the issues that I'm seeing. So definitely enjoyed catching up with him. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, if you did, I've got one of two small favors to ask. Number one, if you're not already subscribed to the show, what are you waiting on, friend? Come on, do it right now. It takes two seconds out of your day. Wherever you consume podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, anywhere where you can consume your podcast, go there right now, hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. If you are already subscribed, I appreciate it. Go one step further. Go on to iTunes right now. Give me a rating and a review. Let me know what you think of the show because, look, you guys know kind of the focus here. You know what I'm all about. I am trying to positively impact this industry on a really high level. I want more great trainers, great coaches, great rehab professionals in this space to know about all the amazing people that I'm bringing on this show because we've got amazing practitioners each and every week. So give me a rating and review so we get the show in the hands of more great people like yourself. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.